Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Thursday, January 9th, and we have a gigantic show. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. This is one of those days where I'm like, I love my job. I'm so happy to be here. Like, this is, dang, this is awesome. Uh, We're going to talk about a ton of new NFL head coaches that were hired. We're going to talk about Joe Judge, the surprise Giants head new head coach. Uh, We'll talk about Matt Rule, the new head coach of the Panthers. We'll talk about Mike McCarthy of the Dallas Cowboys. We're also going to talk about the fact that Tua Tungvaloa and Jake Fromm both decided to forego their senior years and end up in the NFL, uh, go heading to the NFL, entering the NFL draft. Uh, We're going to preview some of the NFL playoff games from this weekend. We have so much to talk about. I didn't even mention all of it. Um, I do want to say it's been a weird week because coaches got hired a couple days ago, and I decided not to record. I decided to sit on it and wait. I knew that... A lot of people in the media have been talking about like this guy and that guy and predictions and this and that. And I decided to sit on it and wait and gather more information, listen to interviews, learn about the coaches. I didn't want to just rush out an opinion on this is a good hire. This is a bad hire, this or that. I wanted to really listen, take it all in and then get my opinion out once I've really had time to digest all the information and really evaluate what's good and what's bad. Um, I'm really excited. I'm proud of my approach. I'm really, um, I think it's the right way to do it. I don't think you know, Mike McCarthy was hired Monday, but rushing out a video, Mike McCarthy, blah, 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 without putting thought behind it, didn't seem like the right move at all. So um, I, I really am proud of that approach. Again, I'm happy. I hope you guys are having a great day. Let's jump in. I want to start with this. The New York Giants hired Joe Judge to be their next head coach. And uh, he was a Patriots special teams coordinator. He was also the wide receivers coach for the New England Patriots. He's worked for both Nick Saban at Alabama won national championships there. He's also coached under Bill Belichick. He won Super Bowls with the Patriots there. Um, when he was hired, I went, uh, who in the world is Joe Judge? I've never heard of that guy in my entire life. Um, and that was alarming to me because you hear a lot of names circulate. You hear the name uh, Josh McDaniels is the Patriots offensive coordinator. You hear his name basically anytime any team ever you know fires a head coach. You hear, is Josh McDaniels going to be the next head coach of the Panthers, of the Cowboys, of the Browns, of this or that, or and literally every team possible. And uh, I've never heard Joe Judge's name circulated before in my entire life. So when he was hired, I was like, that's bizarre, and that's weird. So, look, I, I, I decided to wait. I decided to take time, sit, and listen. Uh, you know, two days ago, if you had Googled Joe Judge's name, you wouldn't have found Joe Judge. The only video you could find of him talking about football or doing any interview or anything was an interview from him earlier this year actually talking about you know, Antonio Brown and the impact Antonio Brown had on the Patriots at that time. So I got to hear Joe Judge speak and give you know, some of his philosophy on coaching today. I guess it was earlier today when he did his introductory press conference talking to the New York Giants media. They also released an interview the Giants did with him in it. And um, wow, I, I loved everything that Joe Judge said. I was like, this is a really well-spoken guy. I have no idea if Joe Judge can be a good NFL head coach. I don't. I mean, he's never done the job before. And immediately what that does is bring to my mind Freddie Kitchens, the former Browns head coach, who'd never been a head coach before, got hired off as an assistant coach to be a head coach. And uh, that obviously failed miserably. Now, there's a key difference between Freddie Kitchens and Joe Judge. We'll get to it in just a minute. Uh, But I got to say, a number of things impressed me about Joe Judge. Uh, Number one is he went from... People don't realize this. He was an assistant coach at a Division Three college football team in Birmingham, Alabama. That's 
no offense to Division Three. I used to play Division Three football. It's nothing. It's like it's basically glorified high school football. The fact that Joe Judge was able to go from a Division Three football team in Alabama and go from that assistant coaching job and they get hired directly from there to Alabama. Nick Saban noticed Joe Judge when Joe Judge was at a Division Three college in Alabama. That's a big deal. That never happens to see a guy go from Division Three to Division One. That jump is rare and is really probably a to me, that tells me, wow, Joe Judge is an outstanding coach. Good head coach or not, I have no idea. But clearly, he's done some impressive stuff and impressed a lot of people. To go from a Division three college football team to Alabama, of all places, that's a big deal. And that should not be overlooked, and that really should be praised. Oh, that's clear evidence. Hey, Joe Judge, obviously something about him is a pretty impressive uh, guy. But then everything Joe Judge said in his interview and in his press conference spoke to me. I mean, I... He has lofty goals for the New York Giants, and you can call that naive if you want, but I don't mind a guy who says, look, I want to do this and this and this, and I have high expectations. It's okay to dream. It's okay to want. It's okay to have high goals and high expectations. I think you should. Um, One of the things that Joe Judge preached in his uh, press conference was toughness. He said three words and three things that really matter to him, smart, tough, and fundamentally sound football. I was like, okay, I like that. Uh, he wants coaches who teach the game. He also mentioned that you know the human element matters. Coaches are not just coaching people. They're, they're coaching people. Like Athletes are human beings and deserve to be treated that way. I was like, oh, a guy coming from New England, that's surprising to hear. That's pretty cool. And then he kept saying he wants a hard-nosed football team that reflects the attitude of New Yorkers, the people, the Giants fan base, the blue-collar workers in New York. He wants a football team that reflects the attitude of New York fan base of the Giants. Um, I thought that was cool. We'll, get, we'll come back to that because there is a, a concern in that sentence. I think the, the attitude, though, the idea, the direction he's trying to go with that statement is really good. We'll talk about where I think it went off the rail a little bit down the road in a minute. Um, but this is why, number one overall, I believe Joe Judge has an opportunity to succeed as a Giants head coach. Again, I said earlier, he's never been a head coach before. And that's a red flag because it makes me think of Freddie Kitchens, the former Browns head coach who got fired because he clearly had no idea what he was doing. But the thing I hated watching about Freddie Kitchens that drove me nuts was Freddie Kitchens never, ever adapted. He never was able to build a team or build an offense that worked to the strengths of his players. He had Odell Beckham Jr. and he used him horribly. It drove me nuts. It infuriated me. The one thing that Joe Judge kept saying that I loved above everything else is he kept talking about making adjustments and being flexible. I was like, yes, yes, thank you, Jesus Christ, if you're real, that makes me so happy. He talked about his philosophy with a football team is to make adjustments to beat his opponents, and I was like, oh, thank you, thank you. That makes me so happy because that's so important. That's a gigantic part of being a coach is being flexible. And understanding that, hey, I'm going to cater my offense and cater my football team and cater the schemes we're running to fit the needs of our players. And Joe Judge clearly understands that fundamental part of coaching. Oh, yeah. I can't say it enough. Yes, yes. It makes me so happy. Joe Judge gets it. You know, great coaches adapt their system to the players. A lot of coaches don't understand that. They try to, the wrong way to do it is to force your players to adapt to a system. Joe Judge understands that's the wrong way to do it. He's going to adapt his system to his players. Oh, yes. Now, um, he's not going to be a coordinator at all. This is a really cool, really important detail is that he's going to hire three people. He's going to hire a defensive coordinator. He's going to hire an offensive coordinator. 
and he's going to hire a special teams coordinator. Obviously, he's going to hire a lot more people than just those three, but the fact that he's not going to have a hand in either one of those as a coordinator is a big deal because he can step back, he can oversee everything, he can delegate and oversee operations. Again, yes, 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 this is a huge deal. It's really good. And I love the way that Joe Judge talks about evaluating players. He talks about, he uses a lot of depth when he talks about evaluating players. He talks about their skill sets, their habits. He's not a guy that talks about statistics. Like, statistics matter. I, I was on the phone with someone who works in the NFL today, and he, the point was like, look, film doesn't lie. I don't care how many touchdowns you have. I care about what are your habits. You know, there are a lot of things in football that do not show up on statistics, and, and on stat sheets that still matter in football. Joe Judge understands that. I love that. He's very detail-oriented. You can just tell by the way he speaks. Uh, it leaks out of him. And I also love that he kept saying, I have an outsider's perspective on the New York Giants. He did not pretend to be an authority. He wouldn't commit to anything. He's like, in a good way, in a healthy way, he said, look, I don't know what system we're going to run yet. I don't know this. I don't know that. I know we're going to have this attitude. We're going to be a hard-nosed football team. We're going to work hard. We're going to grind. We're going to punch you in the mouth. But I don't know what systems we're going to run because that isn't he shouldn't be able to answer that question yet because he needs to take time. He needs to watch film. He needs to meet with more players. He needs to evaluate the strengths of their football team before he can say that. So I really love the honesty when he said, I have an outsider's perspective on the New York Giants. I don't know. I've played against them yet but I, so far, but I've, I've not been their coach long enough and done enough research to have an educated answer of my approach yet to build a football team and build an offense around our players. I thought that was really, really cool. Now the self-awareness to understand that you know, he needs to design a system around the strengths of his players. And he would have been lying if he just said, oh, we're going to do this and this and this because he isn't ready for that. And so I love that. So I love everything, almost everything that Joe Judge said. There are three things, three concerns I have after Joe Judge's introductory press conference. I'm not sold that Joe Judge is going to work as a Giants head coach, but I will tell you this. I'm rooting for him. I, I really like his approach. I think he's got his heart in the right spot, and that's really cool to me. But here are my three concerns about Joe Judge as a head coach. Number one is he needs to hire the right coordinators. Daniel Jones needs a good offensive coordinator. I don't care. Look, if Joe Judge isn't going to be a coordinator of anything, he's got to hire three men, offensive, special teams, and defensive coordinators that know what the heck they're doing. And so that's a huge step and a hurdle for Joe Judge. He's going to have to hire well. Number two is, you know, I heard Joe Judge talk a lot about this idea of teaching. And that's, that's great to talk about. Um, but, and it's odd because in New England, Joe Judge had a very difficult job, a job that I don't think anybody else, I can't think of another person who had two roles the way that Joe Judge had in the NFL. Number one, he was a Patriots special teams coordinator, but he was also, he had a dual role. He also was the wide receivers coach. And that's no small, I mean, most people have one job or the other, not both. Now, I got to acknowledge, though, he talks about teaching. He talks about how he loves to teach and he wants to hire teachers. And he did a great job as a special teams coordinator in New England, but he really did not impress me as the wide receivers coach of the Patriots. In fact, the Patriots wide receiving core was the worst part of their football team last year. Their wide receivers were awful. And the fact that Philip Dorsett and Nikhil Harry, I know Nikhil Harry was hurt for a large majority of the year, but the young receivers for the Patriots made the same mistakes week one as they did week 17, they didn't progress. And so Joe Judge talks a lot about teaching. Is he actually a good teacher? I have no idea because what we saw on one hand with special teams, clearly he knows what he's doing. With the wide receivers last year with the Patriots, they didn't make progress that they needed to make. And whether that's on the players or that's on the coach, or maybe he was spread too thin because he had to coach receivers and special teams, I have no idea. But to be clear, I don't know, what, I don't know whether or not Joe Judge can coach, coach and uh, can teach. And I'm a little bit skeptical because of the way 
that the the poor performance we got from the Patriots receiving core last year. Now, number three, this is my third fear about Joey Judge. I think a lot of New York fans are going to agree with this. Um, my fear is that Giants, that NFL free agents and people that potentially could play for the Giants listened to that press conference today in New York and went, oh, I, I'm good. I don't want to play for the Giants. That does not sound fun at all. That doesn't sound interesting. Um, he sounds very demanding, and that's not necessarily bad. Uh, it's a blessing and a curse for Joey Judge to be very demanding. He's going to attract the kind of guys that he's going to attract. The, his kind of people, his tribe of people, they're going to be attracted to New York to play for the Giants, people who want to work really hard. But there was one thing Joe Judge said that I really I was concerned about because he talked about live tackling in practice. That's a, I mean, I don't know of any NFL teams that actually do full, they do wrap-up tackling where they, you, know, you kind of go through the motions, you wrap up. But in the NFL, the expectation is you know how to tackle and you don't want guys to get hurt. You don't want to destroy their bodies. So the, I can't think of a, a scenario where there's an NFL team that does live tackling in practice. That sounds very like Division Three college football-esque. So I don't, I don't know what Joe Judge is talking about there. That makes me pretty uncomfortable. And my fear is that maybe players hear that and go, yeah, New York sounds demanding and awful and intense, and I'm good. But again, the kind of player that's a blessing and a curse, the kind of player who's attracted to New York, when they hear Joe Judge talk that way, he's going to get his kind of guy. So again, it's both positive and negative. So I have some concerns, uh, but overall, I love Joe Judge's messaging. Again, I go back to that, his willingness to be flexible and adapt his systems to work with the players in New York. Round of applause. That's phenomenal. Um, I cannot wait to see what coordinators he, in fact, hires down the road. I keep hearing a lot of names that I go, ah, that's interesting or weird or who knows. But I think that the Giants have potential. There's an opportunity here. I don't know that Joe Judge is going to be successful. Um, there are some of the coaches that were hired, and I'm like, I'm sold. That's a great hire. Joe Judge is not a hire where I'm like, clearly that's going to work. But I will say, listening to that introductory press conference gave me a lot more confidence. And this this video would have sounded, and this topic would have sounded a lot different if I'd done it two days ago before I knew anything about Joe Judge. The more I hear and the more I listen to Joe Judge, the more I go, you know what? He's got good ideas. He's headed in the right direction. Let's see if he can execute those ideas. But I do think Joe Judge has the right mindset and has his heart in the right place. And we got to figure out if uh, it's going to work or not. But I, I, love, I love Joe Judge. I'm a big fan of his. I'm rooting for him. I hope he succeeds as a head coach of the New York Giants. Oh, and by the way, here, one more thing about Joe Judge. A lot of people are saying that he's just a special teams coordinator. That's really, really silly. That's a bad argument. If you're going to tear down Joe Judge because, oh, he's just a special teams coordinator. You do understand that John Harbaugh, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, who have, by the way, won a Super Bowl, a very successful head coach. He's the number one seed in the AFC right now with the Baltimore Ravens. He was a special teams coordinator before he accepted the job as the head coach of the Ravens. So it's very possible for a coach to go from the title of special teams coordinator to a successful head coach. If that's your criticism of Joe Judge, that he was a special teams coordinator, nobody goes from that role to head coach. Uh, it's happened before. John Harbaugh did it. He won a Super Bowl. He's a phenomenal head coach. So don't give me that. If that's your criticism of Joe Judge, you're silly and you're wrong. And in fact, I actually think that Joe Judge's experience as a special teams coordinator is in fact a strength because it really helped him understanding the process of player evaluation. Once again, I am so excited. I'm rooting for, and I hope Joe Judge is successful. I love his philosophy as a head coach. Will he work? No idea. Hope he does, though. I am really rooting for Joe Judge in New York.
Okay. Ah, uh, man, this is the hire that I feel so much. I think the word is peace. Like I'm so excited about this hire in the NFL. The Carolina Panthers hired Matt Rule to be their next head coach. And, you know, I, I love this hire so much. I feel very, like, calm and peaceful about it. I'm like, this is a good move. Like, you ever have a glass of, like, you drink caffeine, you drink a, a, a drink of Coke, and it hits you. There's some kick. You drink a glass of water, it just goes down easy. It's peaceful. That's how I feel about Matt Rule. Matt Rule is a, you know, it's a nice drink of water. That's a good move. I know it's a silly analogy, but I, I really, like, feel good about it. A lot of peace there. Um, you know, Matt Rule, if you don't know, he's the head coach who turned around Temple. He's also the head coach who turned around Baylor. And this is more really, you know, the more I heard and learned about Matt Rule and the way that this process worked, uh, the more that it made me just a gigantic fan of the Panthers owner, David Tepper. He's a great owner. He's doing a great job. And this was a big move for David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers. He went out, he got his guy. Uh, You know, two years ago when David Tepper bought the Carolina Panthers, he waited two years. You know, he, he hired the, he, he bought the Panthers and then he sat and he did nothing. He changed the business side of the Panthers, but he hadn't touched the football operations side. He waited two years before he got rid of Ron Rivera. He waited till Ron Rivera wasn't winning and he let Ron Rivera play it out. He got rid of Ron Rivera, the old head coach, who I think is not a miserable, awful head coach, but he wasn't David Tepper's guy. David Tepper, the Panthers owner, wanted to bring in his guy, the person he believed in and he chose. And so that's what he did. He brought in Matt Rule. And uh, I really, first of all, want to admire David Tepper's patience with Ron Rivera, the former head coach, taking his time and waiting till the right opportunity to fire Ron Rivera rather than rushing to fire him and get rid of him and move on. But also, you know, (laughs) David Tepper made a gigantic, gigantic statement by hiring Matt Rule and the way he did it. He gave him a seven-year contract worth $60 million dollars. Now, that's not actually a seven-year contract. It's really probably a four- or five-year contract because uh, if year four, Matt Rule is like 0-16, he's going to get fired. He's not going to last seven years unless he wins. Uh, but most coaches in the NFL level especially get two years. And so the fact that Matt Rule probably has four years to make this happen is a big deal, and it's a different energy. You know, David Tepper made a big statement. Number one, we really want you. Here's a ton of money. Come be our head coach. But number two, he said, here's seven years. We're going to give you, the message is, we're going to give you patience. We're going to give you time to build the Panthers the right way. And that is so, so awesome. So Panthers fans, I ask you to give Matt Rule patience, give him time. Uh, you got to look back at the history of Matt Rule. He went to Temple, turned Temple around, but the first year at Temple, they lost a bunch. I, went to, I think they went 2-10. and 10. Then look back at his, his first year at Baylor, they went 1-11. and 11. So it takes time for Matt Rule to turn things around. But if you give it time, it could actually work. And so... Um, I really believe that the Panthers hit a home run and got an incredible, incredible head coach. And he was expected to go to the New York Giants, and the Panthers being able to snag him and pull him in says a lot to me about the Panthers' ownership and a lot about David Tepper. Now, I want to talk about you know Matt Rule's opening introductory press conference. Uh, first of all, it made me love David Tepper even more, the owner of the Panthers. He walked out to his walk-up music because he got walk-up music as if you were playing baseball and you go up to the batter's box. David Tepper's walk-up music was thunder by imagine dragons and i was like man this old dude he gets it like he just is a cool man i'd love to get a beer with um and it's really interesting that matt rule when he was speaking at his press conference the energy from matt rule was so different was so much more measured than 
Joe Judge. Joe Judge was really intense. He had something to prove. He had kind of a scowl. He looked defensive, really, the whole time. Like, he's ready to get into a fight. And uh, in contrast, Matt Rule was totally comfortable. He was totally honest, totally kind of humble and gracious. He took his time, wasn't in a hurry to speak. Um, and uh, I loved when he talked about using sports science to help his players and care for his players and to help them extend their careers. It's really clear that Matt Rule cares about people. He cares about the people above him, his bosses. He also cares about the people that are going to work for him with the Carolina Panthers. And uh, you can also tell he just loves football. He loves the process. He loves building something. And so um, I was so impressed with with uh, with David, with uh, who am I saying, Matt Rule. You know, he's a fantastic speaker. He's very intentional with everything he does. And uh, I'm not sure that Joe Judge, the you know, the new head coaching hire with the New York Giants is going to succeed. I don't know that Joe Judge is going to make it happen. I hope so, but I don't know. I am very certain that, like, I have a gut feeling and a, a good feeling that I have no doubt Matt Rule's going to succeed with the Carolina Panthers. It's all in place. I mean, he, he really, his energy, the system they have in place, it, all of it, it makes sense to me. Uh, just give him some time. Again, give him time to develop. Give him time to build it. And uh, I, I think that the ownership, you know, the head coach, Matt Rule, the general manager, Marty uh, Herney, the owner, David Tepper, they're all aligned and they're all headed in the right, the same direction. And so that's really going to be a huge advantage. And, um, you know, I really, it's cool to watch them interact on stage, the owner, the general manager, and the head coach. You know, the, the press conference ends and they go to take pictures on the side and they're laughing and they clearly enjoy each other's company. They have a good relationship and good rapport. And I was like, that's awesome. That's really healthy. You know, on screen, it leaks, it leaks out. Like, that's really, really cool. Um, and so, you know, and, and then the way that they tell stories about each other, they tell stories about, the, the way they met each other, the way they visited each other in Texas and the hiring process of Matt Rule. It's clear they all like each other and get along really well. That's going to speak volumes to the future of the Carolina Panthers. And so th- there's one last thing, two, really, two things he said that I liked at the end. Um, number one, Matt Rule showed a ton of self-awareness at the end of his press conference when he said that one of the things he really wants to do, and he said he's done it at every stop he's been, whether it was at Temple or Baylor or now here, with the Carolina Panthers is he wants to bring in a veteran coach, a guy who's been around who can work with him and mentor him. And the humility of that statement to say, I want to bring in a veteran guy who knows potentially more than I do to challenge me, to say no to me. Uh, I've talked about this before. Limitations are really important. Um, one of the reasons why I believe that the Phantom Menace, Star Wars, the Phantom Menace, the, the reboot series, the first of the, re- the, another reboot, the first of the prequel series of Star Wars. The reason why the Phantom Menace was so bad and had really, bad mistakes like Jar Jar Binks, which is a horrible character I really, really hate, is because the guy who made the movies, George Lucas, had nobody telling him no. There was not a single person that said, ah, I I think Jar Jar Binks is a misstep and a bad idea. He had complete power. And when you have complete power, that can actually be very, very dangerous. And so the fact that David Tepper, excuse me, Matt Rule understands, I got to bring in a veteran guy who might know more than I do, or even if I don't agree with everything he says, can at least offer a different veteran's perspective than I have. Who's someone who's been there, done that before. Uh, I think that would be really smart for Matt Rule. Uh, he's going to do that. And one guy I would suggest hiring is the old uh, Wade Phillips, the old defensive coordinator of the LA Rams. Wade Phillips contracted not get extended by the LA Rams. I say, hey, if I'm Matt Rule, bring in Wade Phillips as an advisor just to help lead and help to uh, mentor Matt Rule. That's a great maybe person that could be there. Maybe Bill Parcells. I have no idea, but Matt Rule has the clear intention to bring in a veteran mentor for him, and that's a really, really smart, really, really humble 
move that shows a lot of maturity and wisdom by Matt Rule. The other thing he said is he addressed the players and he said, I'm not perfect. Matt Rule said, I'm not perfect, but I do my best. And I'm going to do my best every single day for the players. And man, like I just was like, this dude gets it. And the, the peace with which he talks, he's not in a hurry. Um, he's, a, he's just a great public speaker, man. I'm so, so uh, interested and engaged. And uh, the poise, I, I just can't say enough good things. I really feel good about Matt Rule. Um, and he understands leadership. He knows he needs to get help to succeed. All of it, man. I think Matt Rule's a great hire for the Carolina Panthers. And I cannot wait to see how he does moving forward. All right. Um, Mike Leach has just been hired as the next head coach of the Mississippi State football team. And, uh, you know, the pirate has left the Palouse. It's very weird to me. You know, Mike Leach, if you don't know, is the mastermind of the air raid offense. He's leaving Washington State to go to Mississippi State. Oh, I, uh, Mike Leach at Mississippi State, to me, is a disaster in the making. I do not have any confidence that this is a good move. And hear me out. Mississippi State fans are furious at me right now. I understand. Now, my first thought, by the way, initially when I heard this was like, oh, my goodness, the— Egg Bowl, which is what they call the game between Ole Miss and Mississippi State. That rivalry game is called the Egg Bowl. I said, my head went, the Egg Bowl is going to be incredible. You have Lane Kiffin, the head coach at Ole Miss. You now have Mike Leach, the head coach of Mississippi State. It's going to be wild. But I also thought, man, Lane Kiffin, the new head coach of Ole Miss, got a gigantic victory today. Uh, Ole Miss has gotten a lot of bad press recently because of some of the stuff that Lane Kiffin's doing and the people he's hiring. And uh, I think now the media is going to focus a lot more of their attention on to Mike Leach, the new head coach of Mississippi State, and it's going to allow Ole Miss to fly more under the radar and take some of the pressure off of them. And I believe that they're in Oxford, Mississippi, which is where Ole Miss is. Oxford is where Ole Miss is. I believe Starkville is where uh, Mississippi State is. If I'm wrong, please correct me. I've no, I've never been to Mississippi. I have no idea. I'm just, I think that's right though. Um, now, SEC fans, please hear me out. If you are an SEC fan, listen to this right now. Mike Leach is not an upgrade for the Mississippi State football program. He's not. Um, you know, this is a disaster in the making. Mississippi State had a head coach named Joe Moorhead previously. In 2018, he won eight games and got to a bowl game. He lost a bowl game. And in 2019, he won six games and got to another bowl game. He lost both bowl games in both years. But Mike Leach is not going to do much better than that. I hope you understand that Mike Leach is not going to come into the SEC and win the conference. That's, there's never a season where Mike Leach is ever going to win the SEC. I'm sorry. It's never going to happen. He might have a success, more successful year than others, but the future of the Mississippi State football program is we're going to have Mike Leach. We might go to a bowl game, and we'll probably lose the bowl game because that's what Mike Leach does. Uh, people don't understand. I spent a lot of time at Washington State. I was there for a year and a half. Uh, I have a lot of friends on their football team. I worked on their sidelines for two football seasons. But I'm telling you, Mike Leach is not going to have success at Mississippi State. I've been very close to Mike Leach's program in the last two years. Um, I know a lot of his former players. I, I think Mississippi State really downgraded from Joe Moorhead to Mike Leach. The only difference and the really the big benefit for Mike Leach, at, for Mississippi State, I guess, is that having Mike Leach now, you know, Joe Moorhead was not very interesting. Mike Leach, at the very least, is going to score a lot of points and say crazy stuff to the media. But that's exactly the problem. Mike Leach is now going to the SEC. You got to understand that 
Mike Leach could never win the Pac-12. He couldn't win the stinky, dinky conference to Pac-12. He lost every single year to the University of Washington because Mike Leach refused to make adjustments in that final game of the year. What in the world makes you believe that Mike Leach can go from Washington State, where he couldn't ever win the Pac-12 and could never beat the University of Washington? He think he's going to go to the SEC and beat LSU and Alabama and Georgia? Are you kidding me? One of the things that Mike Leach really struggles with is recruiting. He's not a great recruiter. And I think there's an attitude in Mississippi that goes, you know, Mike Leach is the guy who recognized Gardner Minshew, a guy from Mississippi. Mike Leach was the person who discovered Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew, this local Mississippi product from Brandon, Mississippi. Mike Leach was the only guy in the country who recognized Gardner Minshew could be incredible. But let me tell you something. <laughs> As a person who was there when Gardner Minshew got recruited to Washington State, Mike Leach had no idea Gardner Minshew was going to become the Gardner Minshew he is today, an NFL starting quarterback, a guy who won some, I can't, like the Davey O'Brien Award or whatever award he won in college, the guy who shredded college football. Nobody had any idea Mike Leach could do, you know, Gardner Minshew was going to be that. He did have the line where he said, you want to come lead the nation in receiving in passing yards. But let me tell you something. Mike Leach tells that to every single quarterback he recruits because he, if you play in his offense, that's inherently what happens is you lead college football in passing yards. So I think there's an attitude in Mississippi that Mike Leach is going to be this guy who can really understand Mississippi and really bring the best recruits out of Mississippi to our program because he's the guy who discovered Gardner Minshew. It's just false. It's a lie. It's not true. Where was I headed? Uh, Mike Leach is not a good recruiter. He's not going to beat Alabama. He's not going to beat LSU or Georgia. And the reason why he failed at Washington State, he never made adjustments. He runs his system. That's what he runs. Here's the best part and maybe the worst part of this entire hire for me, uh, for Mike Leach and for Mississippi State, is that Mike Leach has a really weird, big, outrageous personality. Um, You understand that the SEC media is going to eat him alive. He is going to really struggle with the media in Mississippi. Mike Leach is going to be very, very entertaining, but he is not going to succeed long-term and and very big at Mississippi State. He's going to have mediocre success. He's going to go to some bowl games, and if that's enough for people, great. But, you know, Mike Leach, again, it's way more interesting than Joe Moorhead, but he's not that much better of a coach. He's a cranky old man who doesn't value leadership. Again, I know a lot of his former players— and I never liked Mike Leach at Washington State. I, I, <laughs> the more I got to know of him and the more I saw of him, the more I was around him, the more I was like, yeah, this guy is not a guy I'd ever want to play football for. And you understand that at Washington State where Mike Leach was, look, I'm not a Mike Leach fan. I'm, I'm not even a Washington State fan. I just happened to be there for two years. But at Washington State, Mike Leach had a perfect, perfect setup. He had a really small media market full of really crappy reporters that didn't know what they were doing. And then he had, I know if, <laughs> that's not a shot at Washington State. That's just, they're not LA. They're not New York. They're not the SEC media. It's Pullman, Washington, a little tiny town with like, no, I just, that was not a shot at anybody, but let's be real about it. The media at Pullman, Washington is not a big media market. He can kind of control the media there. And then also the other thing that Mike Leach had at Washington State was a low self-esteem fan base, a fan base with low expectations. Here's the difference at Mississippi State. Mike Leach is going to have a ravenous, (laughs) feisty, aggressive, really, really harsh media market in the SEC. Mississippi football is totally different than Washington State. 
Pullman, Washington, a little tiny town that has a small media market. And the other difference is that in the SEC, Mike Leach is going to deal with a fan base that has high expectations. They just fired a coach who took them to two bowl games in a row. Bowl games is not enough. Mike Leach is not going to impress the SEC people that are hungry and ravenous for winning. He's not ever going to be enough. So I think that this is a disaster in the making. I hope you understand the way he interacts with the media, the expectations of the fan base, the fact he can't recruit, the fact he doesn't value leadership, and the fact that there's an expectation, I think, that he's going to be this incredible recruiter. It's not going to happen. So I think it's going to be a very entertaining ride. It's going to be fun. He's going to score a lot of points. He's going to say a lot of crazy stuff. But the worse that things get for Mike Leach down the road, the, the farther he's going to spiral. Don't, don't forget, there was a quote he had this year where he called his own football team fat, lazy, and disgusting. Like, Mike Leach is a guy, when things get worse, I don't think he handles adversity very well. And I don't think he handles, I just cannot wait for the day. And this sounds facetious, and I'm not trying to attack anybody, but I'm telling you, there's going to be a moment where Mike Leach really struggles, and he's losing, and it's going poorly. And then he's going to mouth off and say something even worse and compound the problem. That's what's going to happen for Mike Leach at Mississippi State. He is a disaster in the making for that football program. Whew. How's that? I mean, look, I don't, nothing again. Mike Leach, you know, he's not a mean, he's not a bad guy. I've met him actually, and he's, I, I just don't believe in him. I just don't believe, I, I think he is very like foolish, honestly, to leave a, a good opportunity. A, probably he had a perfect scenario with that setup there with a small media market and with a, uh, a fan base that had lower expectations. I think he's going to fail to meet the expectations of people in Starkville, Mississippi. It's not going to work. And so, um, yeah, it's not good. I'm telling you, I got to cut my hair. My hair is getting a little long. It's like in my face. I don't know. You know, yeah, I got to cut it. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing with my hair. It's a mess. It's, I look like a uh, like little Dicky, <laughs> the rapper. We love the earth. It is our planet. <laughs> uh, I want to shift gears now to the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys fired their head coach, Jason Garrett. And uh, it was a really messy breakup. And I want to talk all about it because, uh, you know, first you need to know the history, by the way, of Jason Garrett with the Dallas Cowboys. In the early 90s, in the 90s, Jason Garrett was the backup quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. He was the backup to the Hall of Fame quarterback, Troy Aikman. And in 2007... Jason Garrett took a job as the offensive coordinator of the Cowboys, and then in 2010 was elevated to the role of head coach. Now, the most important part of the story is that Jason Garrett spent time in the 90s backing up Troy Aikman. So Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, has this image of Jason Garrett, that Jason Garrett is this young guy from Princeton, a rookie quarterback from Princeton University, backing up the Hall of Fame quarterback, Troy Aikman. Jason Garrett is viewed as this young guy. And if you know someone for a long time, you know, changing your, perspective, your, your perception of them is really, really hard. I went to Cincinnati recently, and everybody in Cincinnati goes, man, this city has really changed in the last 10 years. But people that have you know, frequently come to Cincinnati and back say that the city really changed seven years ago, but it took seven years for people that live there and see it every day to really notice the changes. My point is that it's really, really hard to change your perception of something, to change your view of something you're really, really close to. The Cincinnati locals saw the way, saw the city the way they saw for you know, the last 10 years ago and had a hard time changing their perspective. Jerry Jones had a hard time changing his perception of Jason Garrett. In his mind, he was always still that young kid from Princeton who came into back of Troy Aikman in the 90s. There's a, a really cool TV show I love called Kitchen Nightmares, and you'll see this occasionally where 
a father will buy his daughter or his son a restaurant. But then the, the dad can't give up control to the kid because his view of the kid is that there's still this child running around in diapers and they cannot change their perception. And then that father will micromanage and, you know, try to control everything and not trust the kid to run it their way. And I think that's exactly what happened with Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones had this view of Jason Garrett that he was this young guy from Princeton and he never grew up in his mind because he'd known him for so long. And when you know a person that long, it's hard to change your perception of them. And that's why Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, would frequently meddle and try to control things with the former head coach. And then the way that the Cowboys fired Jason Garrett Mm, it's not good. It's so, you know, it reeked of dysfunction is how I would put it. The firing process took way too long and it dragged on and on and on. And uh, there's a, a, a quote that says, you know, hire slow and fire fast. They, they fired slow and they, they did a disservice to Jason Garrett and to their own football team and their franchise by not getting rid of Jason Garrett quickly. You know, stringing people along is not caring. I think that, you know, the Cowboys took forever because they were, holding Jason Garrett in limbo. They didn't want to hurt his feelings. They were trying to care for him. But the reality is the longer you string someone along, the more you hurt them and the worse it is for them. And, you know, there was a moment where the Cowboys were interviewing new head coaches before they'd even fired their old head coach. How sick and messed up is that? Mike McCarthy came in to interview with the Cowboys while Jason Garrett was still technically had the title and the role of head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. That's bizarre. Imagine your girlfriend going on dates with other guys while you're still dating her. That's what happened. Or look at it from the other perspective. Imagine going on dates with somebody who is still in a relationship saying, if you're good enough, we'll break up with the person we're currently with. How weird and awful is that? Again, it's so sick, and the word is dysfunctional. The Cowboys, the relationship between Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones was a dysfunctional mess. And then, you know, the way they treated Jason Garrett was not honorable. It wasn't caring. Uh, they should have just cut bait, fired him, and moved on with their lives. And then the fact that Jason Garrett allowed himself to be strung along is even more sad. Uh, and I, I get it, man. I, I, you know, I believe that for a long time, Jason Garrett held the dream of being the Dallas Cowboys head coach. That was something he wanted and yearned for for a long time, probably for years. I would love that job title. And then when he finally got that dream, he finally was told, hey, here's the crown. Here, young prince. You're the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. It felt so good. And then so much of your self-worth gets wrapped up in that. This is why I feel so bad for Jason Garrett. He got fired from his dream job. I mean, that's painful. There's a reason why Jason Garrett took so long to leave. They knew how much it would hurt the guy to get fired. I, I am sure that he put so much of his identity into his role as the Dallas Cowboys head coach. And when you get fired from your dream job or you work so long for one thing and then it gets taken away from you, you go, oh, man. I have no idea where to go next. I, I don't even know where to begin. I, I, my whole life was this thing, and now it's taken away from me. What do I do now? It's brutal. And I just go back to this whole situation, the way that the Cowboys treated Jason Garrett, the way that Jason Garrett stuck around. All of it is just so, so dysfunctional. The relationship between Jerry Jones and Jason Garrett was awful. And I think it's so good the Cowboys moved on to this new head coach, Mike McCarthy. The baggage from the past is gone. There's not a long history between the head coach and the owner. They, they get to start fresh and get to start on with a different relationship, not with a former player who's been around for years. No, Mike McCarthy has won a Super Bowl, and that is where the relationship with Jerry Jones can begin. Hi, I'm Mike McCarthy. I'm a good head coach. I've won a Super Bowl. 
Trust me. I think the relationship between Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones is going to be far different with a lot more respect and a lot more reverence. And I think it's going to encourage Jerry Jones to meddle a lot less. Now, Jerry Jones is going to have a radio show. It's what he does. It's going to sound like he has all this inside information. But I think that my belief is that Jerry Jones is going to operate now far more as a fan rather than as a meddling owner. And that's a huge distinction and a huge difference. Jerry Jones can be a fan of what's going on in the Cowboys organization. He doesn't have to have his hands deep in the cookie jar trying to make changes and trying to control things. Um, now I think at some point, Jerry Jones is going to bring in Mike McCarthy and he's going to become part of the Cowboys family because that's what Jerry Jones does. But again, I think that this is an opportunity for the Cowboys owner and head coach to have a different relationship with more respect and more reverence rather than the unhealthy baggage that Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones had because of their years of knowing each other and years of friendship and years of weird heartache and all kinds of stuff. It's just a very uncomfortable situation, and I'm glad the dysfunction is gone from the Dallas Cowboys, and they can move forward with a better head coach. So let's talk about him. The Cowboys hired Mike McCarthy to be their next head coach, and uh, I love, love, love this move. Uh, first of all, it's, he's a great coach for the Dallas Cowboys. He's perfect. I think he really fits their system. I like it. And I did a lot of research, and I was really surprised with what I found. Uh, you know, Mike McCarthy used to be the Green Bay Packers head coach. In fact, he won a Super Bowl as the Packers head coach. And after the 2018 season, Mike McCarthy was fired by that team, the Green Bay Packers. And uh, when you have setbacks in life, the way you respond is a choice. You have a choice. How are you going to handle this setback in life? And when I looked into Mike McCarthy and the way he handled being fired by the Green Bay Packers, I was so... You know, I was honestly like I was really inspired and I never thought I'd be inspired by Mike McCarthy. He's this burly guy, looks kind of like a Midwest dentist. I'm like, Mike McCarthy's not inspiring. No, the way he handled being fired was really, really cool. And by the way, he was completely respectful. People don't understand how small the NFL world is. If Mike McCarthy had come out and just trashed the Green Bay Packers, the relationships people have all over the league would have caused problems. I was on the phone with an NFL guy today and he said, look, the, you got to respect the way Mike McCarthy handled being fired and the, 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 you know, the, the way, the, the class and the grace he did it with. But yet again, I want to tell you why this, shot, why this really inspired me. Um, here's what Mike McCarthy did when he was fired by the Green Bay Packers. He didn't move. He stayed in Green Bay. He stayed in a really small town, which the small town of Green Bay, Wisconsin, everybody knows who the Packers had coaches. So imagine you're fired by the Packers. You're scorned like a scorned lover. You go to the grocery store and everybody knows who you are and they go, hey, by the way, that's, that's the guy who got fired. That's the old coach. They whisper to each other. Now these all kinds of stuff and there's this underlying, I mean, imagine walking around your old town. I'm the guy that failed. I'm the guy that got fired. Hey, I'm here. And he didn't leave. And I, I, first of all, I respect that. Um, you know, his family's from Green Bay. His wife is from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, but here's what's cool. He stayed in Green Bay. He had, he had a thing in his backyard. He calls it the shed which I guess the, they call it the barn. I'd, I'd call it the shed if I was him, but it's, it's a barn. It's this gigantic complex in, uh, on Mike McCarthy's property where he uses it to study football. And he had coaches come visit him. And Mike McCarthy spent the last six months to the last year preparing, studying film, getting ready. And basically, you know, he made his own bat cave where he can study the game of football. And the way Mike McCarthy talks about being fired by the Green Bay Packers is so cool. He said, obviously it hurt. He wasn't happy about it. But he literally said he's in a good place and the past anger is gone. And the way that he would communicate his situation is that he's better rather than being bitter. Better, not bitter. I was like, Mike McCarthy, like, oh my, did you watch my Baker Mayfield video? I love what you're saying. 
And he said getting fired was good for him. It gave him an opportunity to, you know, gather himself, to organize, to prepare, to improve as a head coach. Mike McCarthy took his role very seriously as a head coach and said, I'm going to find him, use this opportunity and use this setback to improve myself. Um, I recently went through a big setback in my personal life. Um, and I, look, I talk about it way too much. That's why I'm not saying exactly what happened. Uh, but man, Mike McCarthy is a perfect example of how to deal with a difficult setback in life. I'm like, man, this is awesome. You got to give it time. When something bad happens in life, step back, wait, you know, let get through it, analyze and improve yourself and prepare for your next opportunity. And that's exactly what Mike McCarthy did. He prepared for his role with the Dallas Cowboys. He spent his year out of coaching, watching film, staying caught up with the game, understanding what, what you know, innovations are going on currently this year in 2019. He was organizing his old notes. He was you know, breeding creativity, breeding new offensive schematics for his future team, understanding his goal was to go back and be a head coach again in the NFL. And so I believe that Mike McCarthy is a much better head coach today than he was when he was fired a year ago. I, I think it's awesome. Mike McCarthy already a, was already a good head coach. He won a Super Bowl, for God's sake. Now he's more prepared, and he's had time, and he's had pain, and he's reflected on the past, and I think grown from it. To me, that's awesome. And by the way, you know, Mike McCarthy has a—he's uniquely equipped to handle the responsibility of being the Dallas Cowboys head coach. The Dallas Cowboys are the biggest, if not one of one of the, if not the biggest— brands in the world of football it's the dallas cowboys and the green bay packers they're the two biggest brands in the nfl mike mccarthy's now going to have coached both of them in the same lifetime you think he doesn't under, you think he understands how to deal with pressure absolutely he knows how to deal with an angry fan base or a gigantic mob of people because the packers and the cowboys have probably the deepest and the biggest fan bases in the entire nfl he was a packers head coach for 13 years and won 125 games i love it man and then I heard him say one thing really, really cool in particular where Mike McCarthy talked about how he already has his entire timetable and schedule prepared for next season, which means that he sat around for a long time preparing for his next opportunity. The Dallas Cowboys are getting a really, really good head coach, um, a mature guy who's battled through struggles and setbacks and used them to get better. And I really think he's a perfect fit for the Dallas Cowboys. Again, I talked about how he's, he's been the head coach of a gigantic organization. He's won a Super Bowl there. And Jerry Jones, the guy who loves to reach his hand into the cookie jar and meddle with the football stuff, I think Jerry Jones is not going to do that now because he has a head coach he respects, he admires, he looks up to, a guy who's won before, who has reverence in that locker room. Um, you know, I really think that Mike McCarthy is a perfect fit as a head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, uh, I'm going to drink some water, and then we're going to talk about the Washington Redskins. This show's going, we have a lot still to talk about. You know, I almost included a, a Drew Locke film analysis video. I decided to move it to next week because I, I had so much content. I'm glad I did, man. This is going to be still a really long show. I have a lot left to go, a lot left to talk about. Um, I'm really warming up to the Washington Redskins' new head coach, Ron Rivera. The more I hear him talk, uh, the more I like. You know, my first reaction when he was hired was, who cares? The Redskins hired a good head coach. Congratulations. Coach has never been the issue. They had a good head coach before. The problem has always been ownership with the Washington Redskins. But is it possible, and it might be, is it possible that the ownership of the Washington Redskins, Dan Snyder, the owner, could he be changing his approach? Maybe. But again, I got to say, regardless, the more I listen to Ron Rivera, the more I love the messages he's putting out. 
And I'm just rooting for Ron, man. Ron seems like good people. It just, it leaks out of him. There's an interview he did with Brian Mitchell. I have no idea what the Brian Mitchell show is, but he did an interview with him. And uh, everything Ron Rivera was putting out was awesome. I love his energy. He was cool, level-headed, and poised. And uh, he kept saying that he wanted to hire teachers, people who teach the game of football. And then he said that why matters? You have to be able to explain to your players why they're doing what they're doing. And to me, as a person, I always wanted to hear why, and I often never got it from teachers and coaches. And I was like, yes, yes. I always wanted to know why algebra mattered in high school. Like, I, I never did. I never cared. I was like, this doesn't help me. I want to talk into a mic for a living. If you can explain to me why it matters, I'm all ears. And um, so <laughs> it's more of a joke, but why is important? And be able to explain to players, here's why we're running this play or this system or this or that. Why is really important. And so, uh, and then Ron said, you can't just go into a room and say, Let's win games. You have to give them a detailed plan. You have to give the young men you're coaching. Here's how we're going to win games. Not just let's win games. We're going to do this, this, this. Here are the steps we need to take in order to become a winning football team. Ron Rivera was saying all the right stuff. Then Ron also mentioned that he got on the phone before he was hired to be the Washington Redskins head coach. He got on the phone with Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs is a former Redskins head coach. And he called him up and he, they had a conversation about the Washington Redskins ownership, about Dan Snyder the owner of the football team. And uh, he's, you know, the question was, hey, what's it like to have Dan Snyder be your boss? So Ron Rivera knows what he's getting into and the situation he's walking into as the head coach of the Washington Redskins. Um, you know, he said that his relationship with the front office is not about power. It's about collaborating to get him the tools he needs to win football games. And so I like that. And the final thing he said was really cool. Um, he said, one of the important things you have to understand when you come into any new situation is Ron Rivera said this. I loved it. Ron Rivera said, when you come into a new situation, you need to listen. You need to listen to the needs of the people working for you and around you. And I was like, oh, that's good, Ron. That's wise. A lot of wisdom there. And Ron Rivera pointed out that he's considering hiring Kevin O'Connor uh, to work with the offense. Kevin O'Connor is a guy. O'Connell? Is O'Connor O'Connor? I think it's O'Connell, actually. A guy who's been there before. And uh, you know, one of my issues with Ron Rivera when he was hired, my, I don't know if issue is the right word, but my concern was Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded head coach. And you have a young second-year quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, who's going to need help. And uh, you know, Ron Rivera was very uh, – the way he talked about Dwayne Haskins was awesome because Ron Rivera basically said, Dwayne Haskins still needs to prove himself. He said, you know, Dwayne has an opportunity this offseason to show what kind of pro he is with the work he does in the offseason, how much is Dwayne Haskins going to improve as a quarterback this offseason? And then the coolest part was that Ron Rivera pointed out that, you know, keeping the same offense wouldn't just help the quarterback. He also said, look, we have a bunch of young receivers. We have Darius Geis at running back. We have multiple guys who would benefit from keeping the same system around with the Washington Redskins. Keeping things consistent would help more than just the quarterback. And, uh, man, Ron Rivera was saying all the right stuff. I really liked it. Here's one other thing is Ron Rivera I have been concerned, like, who is Ron Rivera going to hire as the offensive coordinator? And I think I've been a little bit impatient, more than is fair, because Ron Rivera seems to be taking his time, listening, taking everything in. He's in no hurry to hire an offensive coordinator. I think it's actually really good. Uh, there's a, it's a, a thing my dad and I always talk about. My dad says, hire slow, fire fast. Take your time with the people you bring into your family, the people you bring into your organization, the people you bring into your company. Don't be in a hurry to work with people, make sure they're the right fit first. And that's what Ron Rivera, I think, is doing with the Washington Redskins. He's taking his time to find a really good fit as the offensive coordinator. And then if it doesn't work, 
fire fast, get rid of them, move on quickly. But everything Ron Rivera is doing and saying, I don't know if Ron Rivera is going to work with the Washington Redskins because, again, I have major concerns with their ownership. But everything Ron Rivera is saying and doing has spoken to me I really like. And he's saying and doing all the right stuff with the Washington Redskins. <sighs> okay, Georgia fans are going to kill me. Um, Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm has decided to forego his senior season of college football and enter the NFL draft. And uh, I believe this is a gigantic mistake. I don't like it at all, at all. I would not. If I was Jake Fromm, I would not leave to go to the NFL early. It's very important to say this. I love Jake Fromm's leadership. He's a galvanizing leader. He does things I love. I think he's great at the podium. He's great in interviews. He seems like a good dude. Uh, there's that show. What is it called? I think it's called QB1 on Netflix. He was phenomenal in high school. I really loved everything he said in that, that TV show, that documentary series. Um, but you got to understand that you know, people are going to say, well, Jake Fromm won this many games. He's the blank winningest coach in, or blank winningest quarterback in Georgia football history. He's a good quarterback because he won a lot of games. Okay, congratulations. You won a lot of games. And that's good. That's a good thing. You want a quarterback that can win. Like, absolutely. I'm not saying that's bad. But why did Jake Fromm win as a quarterback? Don't just give me numbers. Let's be honest about it. Jake Fromm had incredible talent around him at Georgia. At one point, in the same season, he had two running backs in the backfield behind him. He had Nick Chubb, the running back of the Cleveland Browns, and Sonny Michel, the starting running back of the, <laughs> the New England Patriots. He had both of them in his backfield as starters the same year, and they both went to the NFL the same year. I mean, they were both at their peak, at their prime in the same season. Jake Fromm has played with so much NFL talent every single year. So, of course, he's going to win a lot of games. His team is usually better than the team they line up against. Jake Fromm is not, you know, uh, the truth is Jake Fromm has a lot of little things he needs to improve on if he's going to become an NFL quarterback. Um, if he wants to succeed as an NFL quarterback, he's got to get better because he's not ready yet. He's not ready right now. I think he could sit for a couple of years and then eventually emerge as a good quarterback. Maybe he, like, sits for three years in New England and pulls a Jimmy Garoppolo and suddenly, oh, wow, he's good now. Um, but I have a number of concerns about Jake from that I, I don't I don't love. You know, you got to understand, we're going to do a film analysis of, about him eventually. You'll see the things I'm talking about on film. Give it patience. We're going to wait till the NFL draft is closer. Give it like three months. In three months, we'll do a Jake Fromm film analysis video. Um, but he really needs to tweak his mechanics. His mechanics, he doesn't generate enough velocity and drive the ball well enough downfield. He needs to drive the ball better with more velocity downfield. And Jake Fromm is not an elite decision maker. You know, Joe Burrow, the quarterback at LSU, puts Jake Fromm to shame, honestly. I mean, uh, there are multiple moments throughout the season where you would see Jake Fromm misrecognizing an open guy. Like, he, wouldn't, he just literally wouldn't see that the guy is wide open. Or he would force the ball into coverage. Did anybody watch the South Carolina-Georgia game? Jake Fromm cost his team that game with bad decision making and a bad pick six. Um, and, and, you know, being at Georgia also really hurt Jake Fromm's development. I hate saying this, um, uh, but you know, <laughs> Jake Fromm always had incredible offensive lines. He never had to practice the, the skill set he's going to need at the NFL level. He never had to really move around a lot in the pocket. He kind of had time for days. He had, he was like sitting on cloud nine with nobody around him. He never had to work on stepping up or sliding or extending plays. That's not who he is as a quarterback. And he never had to practice that. Um, you know, Jake Fromm. Has a really good deep ball. He's got great location down the sidelines. But don't mistake a great deep ball for good arm strength. They're different skill sets. A good deep ball is about location. Can you put the ball deep over the shoulder into the right spot? 
But that doesn't mean that in a situation where Jake Fromm has to make a 25-yard out route on a line deep, he can't throw that pass. Jake Fromm's ability to zip the ball downfield on a line into a tight window isn't there. Throwing a deep ball over the top is very different from driving a ball 25 yards that's downfield on a line into a small window. He doesn't have the arm strength to drive the ball into a tight window. Arm strength is not about distance. Arm strength is about velocity and the ability to drive the ball into small windows. And so I wish that Jake Fromm was staying in college. I don't think he's ready for the NFL. Um, I, I like him. Like I, 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 look, I really, really want him to succeed. He's a great dude. Um, and I think he's talented enough. He's good enough where if he sits for a while, he could emerge as a good quarterback. Maybe he could surprise people, do something like what Dak Prescott did or Tony Romo did or Gardner Minshew where he's on the bench, he's behind a guy for a while. Someone gets hurt, he emerges and suddenly is good. Uh, but he's not going to be a first-round pick at all. Jake Fromm is not. And I wish he was staying in college to get better and to keep improving because he needs to get better with mechanics. He needs to get better footwork. He needs, he needs a lot of tools that aren't there yet as an NFL quarterback. However, I'll say, I'll, I will say this. I like Jake Fromm, and it's possible that with NFL-level coaching, he'll make dramatic improvements. But right now, Jake Fromm is not ready to start at the NFL level, uh, and I really think he's got to make a lot of changes to get better and prepare to be an NFL quarterback. All right, um, we have one, two, three. We have three topics left. Three topics? Yeah, three, four topics. We have four topics left. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know what? I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll finish the episode. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about uh, Tua Tungvaloa heading to the NFL. We're going to talk about Jill Burrow, the quarterback out of LSU. We're going to talk about the NFL, my, my weekend predictions for the NFL playoffs, and then we'll talk about my NFL MVP. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um... Alabama quarterback Tua Tungavaloa has decided to forego his senior year at Alabama and enter the NFL draft. And, uh, man, thank God. I am so glad. This is absolutely the right move. Uh, Tua has nothing left to prove in college football at all. He's absolutely ready for the NFL. And, uh, in fact, I was worried that if he stayed at Alabama for another year, he might get hurt and then really hurt his draft stock and significantly fall in the NFL draft. It would have been awful. So, uh, it's not worth it. He needs to come out. He needs to make a ton of money. That's what Tua, I think, should do. It's the right move. And uh, he's also absolutely good enough and ready to play at a high level in the NFL. It's not just about money. He's also ready. There's diff- there's two things going on here, but they're both true. He's both ready and both should go get the money. Uh, there are so many ways this could go for him entering the NFL. Um, I really believe he's going to get drafted number five overall by the Miami Dolphins, uh, which is a perfect fit for him. The Dolphins are building something. Uh, now, if for some reason the Dolphins decide they love Josh Rosen, the young quarterback they have behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, that could happen. Then I think Tua would get drafted by the sixth overall pick, which is the the L.A. Chargers. Um, but either way, you know, the people I've talked to in the NFL are all nervous about Tua's injury. And if you don't know, Tua missed the end of the season because he needed surgery after he dislocated his hip. And then had this, I don't know what this means, but he had a posterior wall fracture in his leg. Don't know what that means. Sounds pretty bad, though. Uh, I have two concerns. Number one, you know, these are not just my concerns. These are concerns that people in the NFL have. Two concerns are that, number one, will Tua still be mobile when he returns from his injury? Uh, a huge part of Tua's ability and about his game is that 
He's got the ability to extend plays and keep plays alive and run around a little bit. And it's also necessary for quarterbacks in today's NFL in 2020. You got to be able to move around. All the quarterbacks that were eliminated from the NFL, you know, <laughs> the NFL playoffs last week were quarterbacks who couldn't extend plays. Drew Brees, Tom Brady, uh, guys who couldn't move around, didn't make it very far in the NFL playoffs. So being able to run a little bit and extend plays is a big deal to NFL teams right now. Now, another thing is that some people are nerv- worried and concerned that maybe the injury is going to make him skittish or afraid of getting hit. Uh, you've seen moments with Derek Carr. Derek Carr broke part of his back. And coming back into the NFL, he's been really nervous to get hit. He's thrown the ball away early when there's no pressure around him. It's like he's seeing ghosts. And some people are afraid that Tua might have a similar situation where it's not just that he can't run. It's also is mentally, is he going to be able to check back into getting hit and having bodies all around him after this big injury? Uh, now, some of my sources say that this matters and some of them don't. Here's the next thing that what may or may not matter is, will Tua be able to throw the ball at the NFL Combine and at his pro day? Some people say it doesn't matter because they say they've seen enough of him in college. Now, other teams want to be sure that he's still going to have the mobility he needs and the ability to run around come August when the football season starts. And so, in my opinion, Tua can't lose. By coming to the NFL, there's not a bad scenario that can take place for Tua. Either he comes out and gets drafted early, like by the Dolphins, and gets filthy rich. You know, he's, he's a number five overall pick. He goes to Miami Dolphins, and, you know, he, he, there's, there's no hurry because he can sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, the good quarterback the Dolphins have. He's aging. Fans like him, so there's no pressure to get rid of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Tua can heal up. He can sit. He can learn behind Ryan Fitzpatrick and then eventually become the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins, in my opinion, have a good head coach and are building something. Now, if for some reason the Dolphins don't pick him, he'll go to the Chargers or another team. And again, if he's a first early-round pick in the NFL draft, and if he's a first-round pick early in the NFL draft, he's going to become filthy rich. That's good for him. So there's not a bad scenario. The other scenario is that maybe Tua does indeed fall in the NFL draft. But if he falls in the draft, he'll go to a better team. That's also still a good situation for him. Let's say he goes to the Patriots, or he goes to maybe he's like the the 17th overall pick. I don't know what team has the 17th overall pick, but he's going to go to a better team that has a better roster around him, similar to actually what Lamar Jackson did two years ago, going to the Baltimore Ravens, who have a ton of talented players. In fact, the Bay Ravens have 12 Pro Bowlers. So my point is that no matter how things shake out for Tua Tungvaloa, they can't go wrong. They're good for him. But the key is this. The reason why Tua really can't lose is because injury aside, he's a good quarterback. This is not a guy who's hit or miss. Uh, you know, I think some quarterbacks have to go to the right situation in order for them to, su- to succeed. I don't believe Tua is that guy. Tua is a quarterback who, no matter where he goes, I think he's going to have some level of success unless he goes to like, gosh, the Cincinnati Bengals would be awful. Please don't send him to the Bengals. He's too good for that. It'd be really hard for me to watch a guy struggle with the Bengals. Uh, but, you know, Tua makes NFL throws consistently. Uh, if you watch Alabama with Tua... And then without Tua, you know, there was another quarterback that replaced Tua at Alabama named uh, Mac Jones. And the contrast between Mac Jones and Tua were, was gigantic. I mean, um, of course, there are some things that are similar. When Alabama would throw a bubble screen, no matter who the quarterback was, the guys would make a big game because they had really talented people outside. But Tua's accuracy on third down, his perfect location throwing the ball, uh, his accuracy against one-on-one coverage, those were things that Mac Jones wasn't capable of doing and other quarterbacks aren't capable of doing and made you go, oh yeah, that's what makes Tua an NFL quarterback. Not to mention the fact that Tua Tungvaloa, when he's healthy, can run around and extend plays and had a almost Russell Wilson-like quality. If you watch the Georgia game in the national championship a couple of years ago, Tua was incredible 
running around, extending plays, avoiding sacks. He's done it multiple times throughout his career. And so Tua is absolutely an NFL quarterback. He's ready. He's prepared as long as he's healthy. And even if he's not healthy, if he goes to the right team where they already have a quarterback and he can sit for a while, he'll be healthy by the time he does come back into the league. So um, I can't wait to see what happens with Tua. He's going to be a great NFL quarterback. And I'm just so glad he's not waiting one more year in college. He's ready. He's prepared. I'm so glad he's headed to the NFL. Okay, I want to make something very, very clear. I want to make something very, very clear. Cincinnati Bengals fans are furious at me, and I don't blame them. You know, I said Joe Burrow should refuse to play for the Bengals and try to play for a different team because I hate the Bengals' ownership. And I said this because, you know, ownership is really, really bad, and having bad ownership is going to make Joe Burrow's life unnecessarily more difficult and make his career unnecessarily much, much harder. The Bengals had Carson Palmer for years, a guy who I think is a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, and Carson Palmer wasted the majority of his career in Cincinnati with bad ownership, not getting the help he deserved. So I would hate to see a guy like Joe Burrow, who's really talented, waste years of his career with the bad ownership situation in Cincinnati. But dang, let me make one thing very, very, very clear. This is not me attacking the city of Cincinnati. I'll have you know, I love the city of Cincinnati. It's one of my favorite places in the world. I might literally move there. I literally love the city of Cincinnati. I love the people. I love Skyline Chili. I love the beer. I like the weather. I like the river. I like all of it. I want to go to Reds games. I am a huge fan of the city of Cincinnati, so please don't mistake my my hesitation to send Joe Burrow to his grave with the Cincinnati Bengals. Don't mistake that as me hating the Bengals. I also love Joe Burrow. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the planet right now. I love, he's fun to watch. He's got moxies, entertaining. He's exciting. He's a good dude. And it would be really hard for me to watch this quarterback I love get beat to shreds as a quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, please understand, I would love it. It would make me so, so happy to watch Joe Burrow, one of my favorite quarterbacks, Go to a city I love, Cincinnati, and turn around their football team, the Cincinnati Bengals. Nothing would make me happier. Please understand. But I also, you know, I just imagine this future where I live in Cincinnati and I go watch Joe Burrow play for the Bengals and I get to go enjoy games and it's great and Joe Burrow's phenomenal. Like that, that world would make me so happy because I want Joe Burrow to, to succeed and I want the city of Cincinnati to have a good football team. But I refuse to get emotionally invested and get my hopes up that maybe it's actually going to happen. I'm not going to allow myself to get emotionally invested in Joe Burrow turning around the Cincinnati Bengals because I don't want the heartache when I get to watch video of him getting dragged through the mud in, at Heinz Field against the Pittsburgh Steelers because his football team is terrible and they have a bad offensive line or they have a bad coach or bad ownership. I don't want to go through the pain of watching a quarterback I love in a city I love get the crap beat out of him. That doesn't make me happy. That sounds awful. And watching him struggle in his career because of ownership, something I can't control in Cincinnati, makes me really, really sad. That sounds painful to me. And so I expect things to go poorly in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow, but I don't want that. I really, really want Joe Burrow to succeed. Cincinnati Bengals fans, understand, I'm with you. I want Joe Burrow to be great. I want him to turn around the Cincinnati Bengals. I just have no faith that's actually going to happen. But again, to be very, very clear, if Joe Burrow turned around the Cincinnati Bengals, I would be so, so happy. That's what I want. I just refuse to get emotionally attached. I'm, I don't think it's going to happen. And to protect myself and protect my feelings, I'm not going to allow myself to... Uh, to believe that's going to happen.
Okay. Uh, we have reached my favorite part of the NFL season. Uh, there are only four games this weekend. I believe they are all going to be awesome. I am hoping for chaos. I want a chaotic, fun weekend of playoff football. Um, look, I guess one of these games could become a blowout. You never know. Um, but one thing you know, I, I love and I hope we are going to get an exciting weekend with really intense, really close, emotional football games. We have four games this weekend. Uh, the number one game this weekend earlier on Saturday, the Minnesota Vikings will be in Santa Clara, California to play against the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, man, the, the 49ers should be the favorite in this game to win. Uh, you know, they have a great head coach. They have a really creative offense. They have a good quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. But the real strength of this 49ers team is their defensive line. They have D Ford, DeForest Buckner, Nick Bosa, among others. It's incredible, scary defensive line. You know, the 49ers were the number one seed in the playoffs. The Vikings were the number six seed. And while the 49ers are the favorites, it shouldn't be by that much, at least not on paper. The Vikings have some firepower in their defensive line as well. You know, their defensive line includes Everson Griffin, uh, Dan- Daniil Hunter. And the fun part about this story for me is that the Minnesota Vikings have this quarterback, Kirk Cousins, who has for a long, long time, had the reputation of a guy who cannot win in big moments. However, last weekend, he got the monkey off his back. He went to New Orleans. He played against the New Orleans Saints and beat them in their dome. It was awesome. And Kirk Cousins has been battling this narrative that he can't win big games all year. He finally got the big win. He won a playoff game. Uh, And you got to understand, in that game, Kirk made numerous throws down the stretch, vertically downfield, where he was phenomenal. I think Kirk has the stuff to win this game. I don't know that he's going to, but you also got to acknowledge the Vikings have gotten healthy at the right time. Adam Thielen is back. Dalvin Cook is back from an injury. They're running back. They're top receiver. The Vikings should not be overlooked. I think we have a great game coming up on Saturday, and I think the Vikings have a real legitimate shot to beat the 49ers, even on the road in Santa Clara. Now, here's the thing. Please spare me. I All I want... For, like someone asked me today, what's your Super Bowl prediction? And I said, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? But here's what I want more than anything. All I want is the San Francisco 49ers to rematch with the Seattle Seahawks. That's what I want. I don't care about the Super Bowl. That's my Super Bowl. If I get that, there were like five really great games. Like think of the best games of the year so far this year. We had, I, I can't think of all of them, but I know that two of the best five games of the year, list them however you want. But there were two moments this year where I went, That game was incredible. I had so much fun. And both of them are moments where the Seattle Seahawks played the San Francisco 49ers. One of those games went to overtime. The Seahawks won. The other game came down to like the final moment where the Seattle Seahawks had the ball on the goal line. They couldn't score. They got stopped by the the San Francisco 49ers. All I know is I am praying to the good football gods. Give me a rematch of the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. I would love that more than anything. Now, The late game on Saturday, we have the Tennessee Titans at the Baltimore Ravens. Both of these teams run the ball incredibly well. The Titans have the NFL's leading rusher, Derrick Henry. And this season, the Ravens quarterback, Lamar Jackson, broke the single-season rushing yards record by a quarterback in NFL history. No quarterbacks ever run for more yards as a quarterback than Lamar Jackson did this year. Now, for me, though, the key to this game will not be running the football. Both teams are going to run the ball well. I think, uh, really, the, the Ravens got to find a way to shut down Derrick Henry. But the key to this game might just be which team can complete a big pass in a big-time moment. 
there's going to be a moment third and long late in the game where one of these teams, the Ravens or the Titans, needs to complete a big throw downfield. Which team can make that play? In that situation, I want you to put your eyes on A.J. Brown, the young receiver for the Tennessee Titans. He's a creative, great, talented receiver who can win one-on-one matchups. He might be that guy that hauls in a pass on third and 23 or third and 14 or third and 10 when one of these teams needs a big first down. Watch for A.J. Brown to maybe be that guy that makes a play. But really, in the end, watch for one of these teams to have to have to throw the ball in a big moment. Not run the ball. Running the ball is great. But there's going to be a moment late in this game where one of these teams has to throw the ball and one of these teams is going to make a play and one of these teams is not. The Ravens are 14-2. and two. The Titans' record is 9-7. and seven. But the Titans are one of the best 9-7 and seven teams of all time. You've got to look at what happened to get the Titans to this moment. Yes, they were the sixth seed. Yes, they might be overlooked, but they shouldn't be. They're playing phenomenal football. And the reason why they got off to their bad start was, oh, they had a quarterback named Marcus Mariota to start the year. Midway through the year, they benched Marcus Mariota. They went to Ryan Tannehill, the quarterback who kind of was scorned and left behind by his former team, the Miami Dolphins. Ryan Tannehill came out of nowhere, played phenomenal, led the team to the playoffs. Ryan Tannehill's great. And uh, so I I really think that this game is full of incredible storylines, but it's not who runs the ball well. Which team can throw the ball in a key moment? The Titans at the Ravens, it should be really, really fun. And throwing the ball will be the key late in this game. Okay, um, early on Sunday, we have the Houston Texans at the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh my gosh. Uh, I think the Chiefs are the favorite to win this game. Uh, I think they should win. You know, both teams have incredible quarterbacks, unpredictable playmaking quarterbacks. The Texans have Deshaun Watson. The Kansas City Chiefs have... Patrick Mahomes, the former NFL MVP, both can move around, both can make crazy throws. Um, I was on the phone with someone from an NFL front office today, and he was talking to me about how, how much better the Kansas City Chiefs defense got at the end of the year. They just massively improved, uh, and they've really come on strong. You can ask Phillip Rivers, the guy, the quarterback of the LA Chargers. He talked about it after Week 17, like, man, this defense has really come together. So I give the edge in this game to the Kansas City Chiefs. Their defense has really improved. And in a game with two good quarterbacks, the Chiefs have a good quarterback, the Texans have a good quarterback, I think the edge in this game to the Chiefs is that their defense is better than the Houston Texans. And they have the honey badger, Teran Matthew, who used to be, by the way, a Houston Texan. He's going to come with a vengeance, going to be angry, ready to win this game. I think the, the favorite in this game, of any game in this weekend, the game I feel most strongly about is that I believe the Kansas City Chiefs should beat the Houston Texans in Kansas City this weekend, although I don't really care. I just want a great game. And if Deshaun Watson wins... That would make me so, so happy to watch J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson, and that great football team and that really fun narrative of a football team. I don't care who wins. I just think that the Chiefs are probably the favorite in this football game. Now, Sunday night, I believe this game is going to be special. This game is going to be awesome. It's the Seattle Seahawks in Green Bay, Wisconsin at Lambeau Field against the Green Bay Packers. We have a really fun contrast in head coaches in this game. The Packers have a young first-year offensive coach, Matt LaFleur, And then the Seahawks have an older veteran, defensive-minded head coach, Pete Carroll. He's actually the oldest head coach in the NFL, although you would not know that by watching him run around on the sidelines. He is an energetic guy full of just vitality is the word I think of. Like, man, Pete Carroll just has energy. Uh, Now, the two quarterbacks are awesome. You have Russell Wilson, the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, my NFL MVP. And you have Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, a guy who statistically hasn't been there all year, but stats don't matter. This is not fantasy football. Aaron Rodgers plays the position really, really well, despite the fact that his stats aren't quite where they used to be. Uh, That's okay. They're playing a different style of football week to week. I think Aaron Rodgers 
is not getting the respect he deserves. He's an incredible quarterback who's going to show up in this game and I think play really well. So, um, you know, to me, what's going to be interesting is the way that Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the uh, Seattle Seahawks, handles the pressure that the Green Bay Packers defense can generate. He's going to be running for his life at some point in this game, and he's going to have to make a lot of plays moving and using his feet. But Russell Wilson, if anybody can do it, Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in the entire NFL, making a negative play, running around, scrambling, and turning it into a positive throw downfield. Uh, I am so excited to watch, more than anybody, though, the Seattle Seahawks running back, Marshawn Lynch. This is a guy who came out of retirement like literally three weeks ago. And you're telling me he's going to have Skittles, the playoff football in Lambeau Field. He's going to have the time of his life. And Marshawn Lynch has nothing to lose. He came out of retirement. I think a lot of people are jealous of him. I'm, I would go back on my football if I could, man. It's so awesome. And so I, I hate to admit this, and this feels really, really cheesy. Like it just seems really silly, but it's honest truth. When I think of Marshawn Lynch, a potential Hall of Fame running back, going into Lambeau Field to play Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Pete Carroll, Matt LaFleur, the snow, the cold, the historic setting. Marshawn Lynch, I can't say enough, makes me so excited. When I think of all the, the things going on and the storylines happening in this football game, as cheesy as it is, the word that comes to mind is epic. I mean, this is just an epic, awesome matchup of two football teams that I can't wait to watch. Sunday Night Football, it's going to be great. It's on Fox. And uh, I am so, so excited for this football game. Honestly, uh, I don't know who's going to win this weekend. I have no idea. Uh, I tend to lean towards the teams I think that are the favorites to win are the 49ers, the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Packers. They're all the home team. They're the higher seeds. Um, There's a reason they all have better records. They're marginally better football teams. But this is the playoffs, man. I expect the unexpected, and I cannot wait to watch football this weekend. All right. uh, One last thing. It's going to make a lot of people angry at me. I mean, no offense. It's just my opinion. Uh, that should be that should be the name of the show. It's not strong opinion sports. It's just it should be called it's my offense. It's my opinion. No offense. <laughs> I'm stupid. I don't know. And by the way, I think a lot of people misunderstand the word. The strong opinion doesn't necessarily mean controversial opinion. It just means that I'm honest. Sometimes strength is honesty, and that's how I how I view my strong opinions at this point in time. Um, I believe Russell Wilson should be the NFL MVP this year. In my opinion, Russell Wilson is the NFL MVP. Now, Lamar Jackson, the Ravens quarterback, is going to win. Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson's will not win over Lamar Jackson, uh, and I'm fine with that. Lamar Jackson had an amazing season, uh, and he's going to win because he's a better story, and the NFL cares about better story, right? The NFL views the MVP opportunity as a a chance to market and sell a player. Like, you forget this is a business, and they want to hire, they want to name the MVP to the guy who's going to be best for business. That's why... Often you see guys win in the NBA. People get bored of the same narrative over and over again. Uh, But let's be very, very honest. The word valuable. Valuable. Russell Wilson is the most valuable player in the NFL between Lamar Jackson, at least, and and Russell Wilson. Lamar Jackson is not as valuable as Russell Wilson. The Baltimore Ravens have 12 players headed to the Pro Bowl. That's tied for an NFL record. The Baltimore Ravens are an incredibly talented football team. And in contrast, the Seattle Seahawks, how many players do they have going to the Pro Bowl? Two, <laughs> Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson. That's it. That's it. A far less talented football team. Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner don't even play on the same side of the football field. Lamar Jackson has a better team around him than Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson can make plays out of nothing. He's like Houdini. There is nobody in the NFL better at turning a bad loss of yardage, running around, scrambling, and turning that into a positive play downfield. The ultimate question is this. If you put Russell Wilson on the Baltimore Ravens, 
and you put Lamar Jackson on the Seattle Seahawks, who would be having a better career? Who would be having a better season? Excuse me. There would be no doubt in my mind that if Lamar Jackson, excuse me, if Russell Wilson was on the Baltimore Ravens, the Ravens would be the favorite to win the Super Bowl by a landslide. If you swap teams, I guarantee the Ravens win the Super Bowl with Russell Wilson. Will Lamar Jackson be as good in Seattle with less help? With a different offensive coordinator, with a different group of people around him? I think not. I love Lamar Jackson. He's awesome. He's incredible. Lamar Jackson is one of my favorite. The, the, the way he carries himself, the way he answers questions, I love Lamar Jackson. When he said, not bad for a running back, I laughed and I loved it, man. He's got moxie. He gets it. And he's playing great. I, nobody's taking away from the fact Lamar Jackson's had a great year. But in my opinion, who's more valuable, Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson? Russell Wilson is the NFL MVP. He's done more with less. He's a better, better quarterback, frankly. And uh, I think Lamar Jackson is not the NFL MVP. In fact, I know that Lamar Jackson is a better, more interesting story. But the truth is that Russell Wilson should be the NFL MVP. Yes, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I have one more thing before we end the show. If you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, nearly four years ago now, my younger brother died. He took his life, committed suicide. And uh, it was heartbreaking. And I learned two really, really painful lessons from that experience. Number one is that uh, if my brother had shared his struggles, we, we would have probably not been in the situation. My brother never told anybody he was having a hard time. My brother never reached out for help. My brother never told anybody. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. That is a suicide hotline. Uh, my brother never told anybody he was having a hard time. He suffered in silence. And one day I went home and found him dead on the floor. And that's painful and awful. And so I, I really don't want that for you. I want you to go get help if you're having a hard time. Go reach out, go get professional help and talk to somebody. Now, the other painful lesson I learned when my brother died was that I didn't do a good enough job reaching out to my brother. You know, I could have done a better job having more conversations with depth. My brother and I hung out every day. We worked together. I saw him all the time. We would talk about video games and movies and girls and sports, but we never had real conversation with a lot of depth. Like, hey man, how are you doing? How's your life? What's going on with you? We never had that conversation. And I never asked him, hey, are you struggling? Like, what's going on with you? I never, I never asked him that question. And I regret that. So I encourage you, make sure the people in your life are doing well uh, and don't take the burden. Go get them professional help, but tell them you love them. Tell them you care about them. You're there for them if they're having a hard time. Don't be afraid to have conversations with a little more depth than just talking about sports and movies and video games all the time. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I hope you have a great weekend of football. I love you guys so much. I'm really grateful for your support. Hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.